We chatted with you late last night, and we're back at it less than 24 hours later. I guess still commiserating about this sort of thing. And the Cincinnati Bengals, as we know, lost the AFC Championship game. To a second appearance in as many years, but lost the AFC Championship game to the Kansas City Chiefs. And here we are talking about it on the Aftermath episode on the Orange Black Insider. I'm Anthony Gazenza. He's John Sharon. John, how you coping, my friend? Not, not a lot of cope, man. It was a great season. It was a phenomenal run that they had to get to this point. A 10-game win streak after you start 0-2 to another AFC Championship appearance in a very hostile environment. It's kind of interesting, too. This is the first time, obviously, Burrow and the Bengals have lost to Mahomes in their fourth appearance, and I believe it's their first loss in an AFC Championship appearance in four appearances. So, it's hard to replicate things um, when some some things just don't go your way and you don't you just don't make the plays that the other team kind of makes. So that's just kind of how it happens sometimes. We said it, I think, with uh, it was after the the Buffalo Monday night game that did not come to pass. Um, we, we we talked about it that you know essentially with how everything had to play out with the coin flip stuff, you know, going through it, they they would have had to have rattled together twelve wins to get a Super Bowl mm-hmm. victory. And that is insanely hard to do in the NFL. It is insanely hard to do going on the road quite often. And it proved that proved that this week. And here we go again, though, John, this rivalry, this, these two teams, last possession, right? Three point game, one possession game, you know, all that kind of stuff. And both teams, you just go, Oh man, we got we either the other side is, Oh man, we just, we, we could have had that, this, that, the other thing, the calls, the officials and, so many missed moments and all these sort of things. And then, you know, on the other side, it's like, Oh, you know, we beat, we beat this big, big giant in the conference. And I don't, you know, I, I would think that the chiefs kind of view the Bengals that way at some of the stuff on Twitter tells you otherwise, but um, you know, I mean, it's kind of, as we predicted came down to the wire Bengals did have an opportunity at the end of the game there. Uh, I think they had what, two timeouts, three timeouts uh, when they got the ball there with, with around two to two minutes to play. And, you know, there was the, they did overcome a bad penalty call or a, a questionable penalty call on the intentional grounding, but did not, they weren't able to kind of march down the field as they usually do. And I think that's kind of where we should start when we break down this game, because be it because of injuries on the offensive line, the injury in the game to Tyler Boyd, uh, the Bengals offense was out of sorts this, this week. And, uh, you know, I felt like obviously the protection issues were a problem. They did not try and establish the run to try and potentially negate some of the pass rush. Uh, And then of course, you know, as the game went on and Boyd was out, they basically just bracketed coverage to both Higgins and chase and said, beat us with somebody else. So, I mean, a lot of, a lot of things that you kind of felt like this was one of the weaker defenses, good, good defensive front but there were opportunities there to get yards and points and the Bengals didn't really capitalize on that from a game plan standpoint and other issues yeah I'm curious to see you know looking back at the film if the Chiefs just weren't giving them a ton of run happy looks or positive run looks for them and they felt like that they could win in the passing game unfortunately when your offensive line just kind of gets beat right out of the gate kind of takes out a lot of confidence with that and it kind of puts you behind the eight ball a little bit part of it was staying behind the chains not really feeling comfortable to get a run game going because you're in second and third and long constantly, whether it be by sacks or by penalties. It was just a myriad of offensive line issues out of the gate. It was a lot like the beginning of the season where it wasn't communication issues. 
yeah, it was just a, a bunch of individual losses from backups who unfortunately played light backups. And that was one of the keys to this game, man. The Bills' defensive line, as talented as it is, doesn't have the talent of a probably the defensive player of the year in Chris Jones who can line up at edge, he can line up at three technique, he can line up anywhere, and he can beat you if you put Max Sharping and Hakeem Energy on the opposite side of him. I think Jackson Carmen played okay, but he had some losses in there as well. I think pretty much everyone except maybe one guy was penalized in this game on the on the offensive line. Burrow was on pace to be sacked as many times as he was against the Titans back in the divisional round. And the game kind of mirrored that in a lot of ways, maybe not as many turnovers, but kind of an offensive slugfest. Another key too, like obviously the emotions were running high the entire game and it kind of led to both teams starting a little bit flat, albeit the Chiefs did get out to a lead there but you know they weren't necessarily this dominant juggernaut offense like they had been all season part of it was because Mahomes was dealing with the injury part of that was because they were dealing with issues and injuries at the receiving core and the Bengals defense played well enough unfortunately though scoring 20 points against the Chiefs is typically a losing formula and that's my biggest takeaway with the end of the game they had two chances under 10 minutes regardless of what happened with the refs regardless of the officiating I'm sure we'll, we're going to talk about that they had two drives albeit long fields to cover, but they had found some success on offense earlier in the second half, and they just couldn't pull together when it counted. I like that you pointed out it felt like the beginning of the year. I mean, when we first talked about, when we first took the air, you were saying, you know, they overcame that 0-2 start. And it's not just the the out-of-sync offensive line. And we knew that this was the out-of-sync offensive line, right, as it was comprised last night, as opposed to week one, week two. We know there's three, you know, backup guys playing in there and that that kind of muddies the waters obviously but the other thing that i noticed with that game game plan standpoint was how they attacked the defense with these offensive line issues and and just kind of this we talked about it early in the year this impatience this we got to get the deep ball we got to get the big play and they were kind of trying to throw down field a bit they were doing a lot of 50 50 balls Joe wasn't getting because of the protection issues he wasn't getting a lot on some of those throws and i just felt like if you just kind of were a little more patient on offense, maybe you try to sprinkle in a few more runs. Maybe you try to do some different things that they did later in the game to uh, try and limit some of those sacks and and hits that you saw so frequently early in the game. I, I don't know, man. I just felt like there was that impatience factor again that we saw in the, in the first week, the second week, really kind of the first month of the season you try and pop that big play and it's just it's not there because of protection issues and or you know bracketing coverage all of that I feel like the Chiefs naturally play an aggressive defense and there was some conversation earlier in the week about you know how could the Chiefs kind of force the Bengals to do things that they don't want to do and maybe that is to play a more aggressive coverage style give some chances for the Bengals to beat you deep and maybe kind of take one or two explosive plays if you limit how much underneath work that they can do because they evolved this offense to the point where they can sustain drives with short yardage passing plays and whatnot. And I think the Chiefs almost dared them to kind of hold up in protection in order to generate some of these explosive plays. Now, obviously, the fourth and sixth play was incredible. There was there was obviously the 27-yard bomb to T. Higgins for a touchdown, so there were chances that the Bengals capitalized when the Chiefs did this, but the Chiefs cornerbacks held up pretty well in coverage, and more importantly, the offensive line was losing within two and a half seconds, which doesn't matter how quick your passing game is, doesn't matter what concepts you have to open yeah. up your receivers down the field, it's not sustainable, and you're going to get sacked, you're going to get pressured, Burrow's clock was definitely speeding up, and towards the end of the second quarter when he threw that pretty inexcusable interception when targeting Tegans, I felt like this was just, he was just off today, and 
you know, the Bengals didn't really have a chance if Burrow's going to play like this. But Bengals defense in typical second-half fashion, they stepped up, and they limited Kansas City to no touchdowns in the fourth quarter. Um, <laughs> pretty sure everyone watching the game was like, man, the Bengals could sure use a turnover here. And sure enough, the ball slips out of Patrick Mahomes' hands. Sam Herbert falls on it, right? The Bengals are right back in it. They, they were tied at 13. They let the Chiefs score again because Patrick Mahomes does Patrick Mahomes things, and that's that's to be expected regardless of how, how of how healthy that ankle is. And again, like they just couldn't find consistency in the rhythm on offense. They took deep shots, but it's not always been successful this year. And the Chiefs played a really aggressive style of defense that happened to work because of the issues that the Bengals were going up against. Yeah, Anthony Martin asks, you know, why bombing on fourth and three? Was it the fourth and three or was it third and three? I thought it was a third and three maybe. Um, yeah. But, it was the but, fourth and uh, six that he lobbed at the chase and double coverage. And right. One of the greatest catches one, in Bengals history, I would say. Oh, it was insane. Yeah, that that between that catch and Higgins' catch, those were unbelievable. Um, and that's why they tried to keep doing that. I did not like that other call, though, that Anthony's re- referring to here. And I do think that that – I think it was a third and three um, where you kind of felt like maybe that was something where you, you go a little more conservative on that. But obviously someone saw something there that – they liked and they tried to get the ball. And um, I think that one was to, was that to Higgins as well? I think that, that yeah. deep ball that, yeah. So, you know, you just look at that and you go again, you know, where's the play call? Where's maybe the design draw plays, you know, maybe you can just get P Ryan to stumble forward for three yards there. Um, kind of do the three yards cloud of dust. Hayden Hurst again, you know, I mean, with Boyd out, Hayden Hurst had opportunities to make some plays here and there. Maybe you throw a quick play to him. I don't know. Um but, I mean, that's that's kind of what we question here. And then the big question now, John, when you look at the offensive line, here's my problem with it aside. I, predictable issues like we talked about, okay? Three backups in there. Frank Clark is a good player. Chris Jones is an amazing player. Um, I mean, they, the Chiefs obviously played inspired, inspired football based on everything leading up to this game. And there was just so much of it that it got to be overwhelming, regardless. Um the Bengals this last year, this last offseason, they invested in their offensive line heavily. They put four new starters out there. They paid, uh, you know, three good money to three guys from center all the way over to the right side. You got the rookie Volson at the left guard there. I mean, they invested a lot in that offensive line. And here's the problem. Sharping held up well against the Bills. Not at all this, this last week. So you kind of go, okay, well. I don't know what you make of him in spot starts or whatever, but the bottom line is here we go again. Last, last postseason, the Bengals experienced injury, right? Tackle was an issue. Prince had to come in then. Right. And then this year you've got basically Karras on one bad knee, Kappa out, Jonah out, Collins has been out. And so I, I, what do you do if you're the bank? I mean, do you just continue it just to be like, Hey, we're just, even if they're backups, we're going to continue to pay either pay premium money for free agents or draft guys in the, in the draft. I mean, cause at some point you got to have a healthy line in order for them to get where they want to go. And both times they've been here, that hasn't been the case and they've lost because of the offensive line. I bet the 49ers are saying the same thing about their quarterbacks, man. Some Probably. Things just, yeah. Some things are just so so freaky and so weird. Offensive line depth is an issue with every single team in the NFL. It is. It, like It's just what it is. Like You can overcome one, maybe two injuries on the offensive line when you need to count on, to rely on those guys for an extended playoff run. But three, 
Like, it's just hard to expect consistency in a week-to-week basis. And this was what we hammered on with Jackson Carmen, with Attenergy, with Sharping. Like, guys who can play well in spots, in favorable situations like they did against the Bills. And they can have those moments, but when you need to rely on them for a three-, four-game stretch against some of the best defensive lines in the league, against the best teams in the league, imagine what the Super Bowl would look like against an Eagles defensive line that I think is up to, like, 80 sacks at this point now. It, it, could, it could have it's been very... silly. Yeah. It could have been very ugly, right? So I, I don't have a good answer with this because with offensive line, it's just you just have to hope that you stay healthy. And that was the thing that helped them start that win streak because they just had such continuity on the offensive line, a, a, an anomaly in terms of continuity because basically no one got injured for the first 15 or so weeks of the season. And then it's all just piled on one after another after another leading up to the, leading up to the playoffs. So, yeah, they were back into the spot by no real consequence of any action or inaction that they did but obviously they they go into this offseason with the feeling or the should be feeling of yeah it would be nice to kind of bolster some of this depth instead of just hoping on some of these guys just improve yeah i mean i just i don't know that you can i i like having some of these projects or developmental guys i mean i i I still think there's a there's a future for deontay smith on this team or somewhere um, I, th- I think there's, you know, a lot of clay to mold there, but you, we don't know. And so what I, what I guess what I'm getting at is you want to draft and develop, but at, at, at some point here, when you have, when you've invested heavily on the offensive line, those investments go down with injury, that sort of thing. You need to have not developmental players come in there to spot start. You need to have guys that are going to be like, Hey, we're, we're ready to go. Now, Adeniji started a lot of games for this team at a lot of different spots. Sharping started a lot of games in the league for, you know, the Houston Texans and whatnot. So, I mean, there's some battle tested guys there, but again, it just wasn't good enough. It wasn't it's Chris it Jones. Wasn't good enough. It's Frank Clark, yeah, man. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, it, it just, and who knows really how well the Bengals would have fared with all of their offensive line, given those two guys and all the, all of the emotional fuel that was given, but you would have had to have feel that, th- that things would have gone a bit better if you had most or all of those guys kind of at in the lineup starting for you. Yeah. And, and they continued to make adjustments throughout the game. Like you immediately saw, they went to split back uh, in shotgun, right? You had like Hurst or Wilcox on one side and you had P Ryan on the other, on the other helping out chipping before releasing into the flats. Like they made sure to give both identity and Carmen help off the edge throughout the game. And it worked. As soon as protection started to settle in, you started to see a better Joe Burrow. You started to see a better offense and you started to see these drives finish into touchdowns. This is another huge, huge thing that the Bengals failed to capitalize on. They were 0 for 2 in the first two red zone trips. This is the 31st yep. ranked red zone defense that the Chiefs had. It's one of the best red zone offenses for the Bengals, and they failed again to the end zone twice, and they ended up losing by three. That's a huge part of the game. Now, granted, in the second half, they ended up finishing those red zone trips, but again, they couldn't cross the half field mark for the two drives that really mattered. So there were just a bunch of missed opportunities in the first half because of just that dysfunction on the offense dysfunction on the offense and yeah in the previous games they were pretty good in the red zone um and especially during the win streak they had gotten you know their efficiency level in the red zone was a lot higher than it was year and that was a big difference you know between this postseason run and last postseason run it was a lot of evan mcpherson last year and this year you know they were kind of capitalizing on a lot of plays so um you know obviously big big bummer from the Bengals side of things. And you kind of feel like, man, especially when it's three points. And even though you didn't play a perfect game, you felt like the chance was there. You had the ball in your hands late in the game and just didn't, just didn't work out. And 
I, you know, a lot of people are saying, uh, we're, we're going to talk about the officiating because I, I talked about it a little bit last night. I've got a little bit more on it, but I definitely want to get your take on it. But, you know, I mean, that was that played a role in things in this game. But, uh, I mean, overall, really, the Chiefs just made a couple more plays than uh, it's cliche. They just made, you know, probably a couple more plays than the Bengals did. Um, what be it by extending a, a drive on a penalty or what have you? There were a couple more plays that they made that obviously was indicative of a close win. Yeah, and some of those plays that the Bengals have made in the past against the Chiefs, like I, I think back to obviously the Pratt fumble that he forced against Kelsey, right? And that's exactly what he tried to do to Pacheco pretty late in the game, and and Pacheco ends up breaking the tackle and breaking off like 15 more runs. Like sometimes those plays go your way, and sometimes they don't. I think this is one of Travis Kelsey's best games that he ever had against the Bengals. There wasn't, there didn't seem to be a specific plan with him. Like Trey Flowers only had like nine snaps. Dax Hill was only on the field for five. No one was a consistent man-to-man cover option against Kelsey there didn't seem to be a ton of attention on him and that was a little bit surprising considering the injuries that the Chiefs suffered on the offensive side of the ball specifically with the receiver group so Kelsey had like a decent day he ended up being one-on-one with Jesse Bates in the end zone and again shout out to Patrick Mahomes who I know the the whole ankle storyline was going to be huge and people were going to milk and everything but he was clearly limping in pain I think in the third quarter when he was rolling out to his left that was the first sign of like physical discomfort that we saw from Mahomes and it didn't really let him let it bother him throughout the game. And he ended up making that, that second touchdown that was like inches away from being deflected by Mike Hilton. It was a very impressive throw. A very impressive game from Mahomes. Probably his best one that, he, that he's had against uh, Luna Rumo. So on defense, I feel like there was maybe something where the Bengals, I said this last night, um, that the, the Bengals... They had they gave up two point one yards per carry as a team on uh, to the Chiefs this week, and you know I think it was forty some yards. I think it was forty one yards on twenty carries or something like that, if, if memory serves. But it was paltry what they were able to get through the air. And I almost had a feeling there was a little bit of a tweak in the game plan where you know when Mahomes was fully healthy, they were definitely doing contained spy that sort of thing. Um, and, and not letting him, you know, dance around and do all this kind of stuff, dropping a lot of guys in coverage and that sort of thing. And while I, they did that last night, I feel like they may have had a mindset, and this is just my own little tinfoil hat opinion, I think, but I think they may have had a little bit of a mindset of, hey, let's really try and take away the run if he is hobbled. Um, let's try and take away the run and really try and let him try and play a little bit more of that backyard brand of football on a bad ankle. Um, and you saw on that one rollout where I, I was it rolling left um, where, yeah. where he, and he just, you could tell the pain was there. Um, and maybe they just said, let's key a little bit more on the run this time. Not to say, obviously, you know, we're going to obviously do what we need to do against Mahomes, but maybe just key a little bit more on the run this time and just dare him on that bad ankle to try and dance around and make plays. And he still did. Um, I don't know if you find merit in that, in that thought, but, that's something I just kind of noticed when I looked at how hard the Bengals clamped down on that run last night. Yeah, maybe Lunaruma listened to us because we, we talked about how the run game would be kind of a, a big factor in this. And neither team, I think both teams were at 19 yards and eight attempts through the first half. That includes like eight yards on six carries for Joe Mixon and Pacheco just not really doing much. Like he had the touchdown, but, got, but it got called back to to a holding penalty. So credit to Reeder and Hill and all those guys up front to really shut down a Chiefs run mm-hmm. game that on, on paper looks really good because Pacheco runs really hard. Trey Smith, who I feel like was dealing with an injury throughout this game. Joe Tooney, uh, Creed Humphrey, those guys are just togs in the run game. 
and the Bengals didn't really give up much ground. So I feel like that was probably a point of emphasis. And I think the Chiefs offense also kind of evolved. Kelsey still did Kelsey things, right? He runs the same four or five routes and he always seems to be open on all of them. But Marcus Valdez scandaling on some of the short passes. He got a lot of yards after catch. Mahomes found him down the field too. They really schemed him to some great opportunities. He ended up getting mm-hmm. the best of this Bengals secondary. So I feel like the Chiefs did a good job of adjusting to what Mahomes could and couldn't do. And he still had a Mahomes-like game. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Yep. Well, look, the other thing on the defensive side with the Bengals, you feel like, I mean, it ended up eventually being 23 points. I said this last night. You feel like if you go almost an entire football game at Arrowhead Stadium giving up 20 points to to Patrick Mahomes on his home field that you should have a, a pretty good shot at winning that game. And unfortunately, it wasn't the case. And And one of the talking points, unfortunately, John, coming out of this one was the officiating stuff. Um, now, I, I, I said last night that I don't think there was necessarily, an, you know, and this is kind of getting gaining a lot of traction and not just in Bengals circles. The NFL is rigged. Um, you know, they, they really wanted the Chiefs to be in this game, that Andy Reid going and playing the Eagles storyline, all that kind of stuff has kind of popped out, a lot of the conspiracy theory stuff. I do think that while I don't think the refs threw the game, because if to me, that's like if there's a blatant touchdown that they just don't call or whatever, that, that's throwing a game or yeah. that's rigging a game, in my opinion. I felt that there was, again, significant points that are significant influence. And the thing that I, I have problems with, with the officiating was, if you want to call borderline plays for, for one team, call them for the other. And if you want to call, if you don't want to call, this is what we saw in the Super Bowl, by the way, same officiating crew. If you don't want to call things all game, you can't call them on the final drives of games that really show, I mean, for both teams, again, you you just, it, there has to be consistency. And here's just some stuff. It either means something or it doesn't. These are some notes that I came up with. I, I believe it or not, I did a little bit of homework, John. I don't, I'm not a homework guy for the show, but. I kid, I, I try and do some research. But there were only four penalties against the Bengals in the Super Bowl. Again, the, the same head official, Torbert. Uh, two of four, two of the four penalties that were against the Bengals in the Super Bowl were within two minutes left of the entire game of the fourth quarter. And that includes the infamous Logan Wilson hold on Cooper Cup that may or may not have been. Okay. Um, when you look at this one, Two of the nine penalties the Bengals were assessed were in under two minutes, and there were none called in that same time window against the Chiefs. And then, of course, there's some talk about holding, and there's some blocks, the block in the back on the punt return, the grounding call that we talked about. The other thing with that, the Bengals got flagged nine times in this game. They averaged under five penalties per game throughout the entire year. So that's almost doubling what they're normally called. Uh, and it was the only, only the second time they had nine in a game through 20 games played the entire year. That's the only time they reached that mark to twice. Um, and then just to kind of also show a little bit of, 
you know, love back the other side of the argument. Ron Torbert called one other Bengals game this year, and it was in week 18 against the Ravens, and he only called three penalties against him then. So there's, I don't know if there's something there or not, or I don't know if I'm just grasping, but those are some of the little nuggets that I found kind of giving, I don't know, giving you something to, to gnaw on with this thing. But that's a little, I mean, I said my piece about this last night. I'd love to hear yours that I, given those little nuggets of information I just supplied with you there. We got some Chiefs fans in the comments. So I'm, I plan on being diplomatic with this because I have no intentions otherwise. My takeaways was, wasn't that this game was rigged. I never think the NFL is actually rigged. I just think that there's incompetence that tends to make you believe it in some, in some circumstances. Just going in chronological order here, the third and nine fiasco, I've never seen that before because... Neither have I. Like, <laughs> like the official coming from left field to rightfully stop the play. Like, the play clock was moving. The game clock was mm-hmm. moving. It was off an incomplete pass. I agree that the play should have stopped. Make more of an effort, maybe, to stop the play instead of having two teams go as hard as <laughs> yeah. as hard as possible. Like nothing happened. Like why why yeah. why wasn't he sprinting in there? And why didn't any other ref notice it? Like it couldn't have been that loud for the refs on the field blowing their whistle as hard as po- like th- that whole thing made no sense to me. And I understand. I think Zach is justified in in his frustration with that, even though it was technically the right thing to do from the ref's perspective. Obviously, the unfortunate holding penalty on Neil Apple, they gave him another chance, but I mean, that was a legit penalty. Uh, beyond that, there was the, the, the Burrow intentional grounding. and The roughing, like, there's like a roughing deal right. against Burrow too, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so I, I never think a road quarterback is going to get that call unless you're no. Tom Brady. Like, he's an arrowhead. It, like, he kind of sold it a little bit. It, it, was a, it was a noticeable tap, but... Like, I, I never think a quarterback is going to get that, so I don't really put that on them. The intentional grounding, he was pretty deep in the pocket, and I don't think he made it back to the line of scrimmage, even though P. Ryan was coming across the middle in that underneath area. So I'll give them I'll give them the pass for that. And obviously, the Joseph Asai penalty, like, he was out of bounds. Two feet out of bounds. He pushed them into the yeah, bench. That, that, that the was legitimate, is, yeah. The, the quarterback yeah. is always going to get that call. Everything yep. in this, like, it, it's it's very gray, some of this, but I understand all these calls except the pump return. That is the one spot here that I think is egregious, and it completely changed the dynamic of the game. There were two clearly missed block-in-the-back penalties on the Chiefs that the cameras caught, man, and there's nothing that the refs can say to justify not blowing that whistle, and it would have put the Chiefs back deep in their own territory, and the Chiefs probably wouldn't have gone into field goal range. And I know people are really nagging on a side for doing that because they know it was a penalty. They know that he shouldn't have done that, but... At the end of the day, Mahomes got to the 42. It was a first and 10. There was eight seconds left. We heard all game about how the, the maximum range for field goal, a field goal kicker in this game was like the 32. I don't think it's entirely inconceivable that the Chiefs could get another eight to 10 yards and get out of bounds within like eight seconds there. So I don't put it all on the side for him single-handedly losing this game. But if you want to talk about the refs, I just look at that pump return. I'm thinking, what if? Yes, because not only did it spring a big return, but that return would have been negated and they would have moved back even further, uh, basically putting them way further back. And then who knows, maybe we're looking at an overtime scenario. Maybe we're looking at maybe maybe the same thing happens, right? I mean, I don't know. But the point is, is the, the inconsistent swallowing of the flags, calling certain things, calling not. And then, you know, when these things are called, in two of the biggest games, you know, of the year, the Super Bowl and the one of the conference championship games, 
inside of two minutes or not called inside of two minutes. It, it just, that's the part that I think sticks at least with me. I think reasonably it sticks with a lot of people. I think we can, John, we just talked for for 20 minutes talking about the Bengals offensive issues, talking about how the offensive line didn't play well, how well Chris Jones and Frank Clark played. So if you're a Chiefs fan coming in here saying, I'll cry, you know, give me your tears, whatever, that's fine. That's not what we're talking about. We just said the Chiefs made probably a couple more plays than the Bengals did, hence the score. But this is a major talking point, and it's not just a talking point, John. Within Bengals circles, this is when you look at Twitter, when you look at the Pat McAfee show, when you look at all Mike Greenberg on Twitter, the Schwartz brothers, one of whom played for the Chiefs, were saying, what the hell is going on, especially with that third down situation? This is a, a, a big talking point. And so my point is the NFL at least is like, you know, they're pretty good about the next year saying, how do we improve things? How do we do it? And so I think, unfortunately, the Bengals are going to have to be a little bit of the example used for stuff that they attempt to improve upon for the next year. I don't know what that is. I don't know if that's full-time referees. I don't know if that's, you know, using some people talking about a sky cam or some sort of, you know, uh, some sort of extra technology. I don't know if it's about challenging certain plays, whether it's within a window where you're like, Hey, I feel like there was a block in the back there. Look at that. I don't know what that looks like, but uh, it's an imperfect. I mean, people are imperfect and unfortunately they, these guys do as best they can. Um, But there are, points in games that rise up that that cause a lot of questions and last night certainly provided that and it's not just within Bengals circles well yeah and this is just the latest example of some game impacting calls or non-calls that have been made and I know people are bringing up like the lack of holding calls on on that Mahomes scramble and I didn't really bring that up because I, I can understand why the refs didn't call that for a couple of reasons one like BJ Hill technically did use a rip move and it's in the rules like if the, if the defender is utilizing the rip move and your arm is a little bit high like it's not technically holding uh, even though both Andrew Wilworth and David Bakhtiari both went on Twitter and said the offense lineman got beat and is, and he's basically holding at that point like I understand why the refs didn't call that because of not only the rule book but also because that was such a crucial critical play in the game that you don't want you don't want to be the the deciding factor in terms of whether it was successful or not like I understand the refs swallowing their whistles on plays like that where it can be debated whether or not it's a flag but my my thing is though when there are clear and obvious penalties on the play regardless of when in the game it is like you have to make those calls because it's definitely impeding a team's um, performance or on that play or whatnot and that I just keep going back to the obvious block in the backs man like that's the one thing where I feel like there's no like area for debate here and it just it really did change the game Love love this comment here by uh, Kristen. If the most consistent conversation across all fan bases after championship football in both conferences is the referees, then there's a problem. We should not know the names of refs. That's a great, great comment. Um, thank you for that, Kristen. Appreciate that. And I know, again, we've got uh, we've got a lot of you know comments. It's, uh, we must be doing we must be doing something right with our show. We must be uh, providing a lot of entertainment. If the opposing yeah. fan bases are coming in here and leaving us some lovely comments, I love it. So that must means we're we're doing something right and welcome. Again, we've said more more, more comments the, means more views, more internet traffic. Hey, Thank you guys. Well, we'll take it. Tip of the cap to the Chiefs. We I've said it now. This is probably the fourth time I've said it in this episode alone. They made a couple more plays than the Bengals did. It was a close game, as all of these games have been. 
that's that's what it is. Chiefs earn the win. That's fine. The referees, the officiating, it is a major talking point. We're going to talk about it. There are some gripes, and that usually comes with, yes, the losing side usually has more of those, right? But again, it's not just within the Bengals circles that are talking about the officials and what transpired last night. It's a national talking point right now. So that's that. Bengals still, regardless of calls made, not made by officials, they are not advancing to the Super Bowl. The Chiefs are. And uh, that's that's going to be that. And I'm sure that these two teams, unless barring something completely unforeseen by one or both teams, this will probably be a rematch in the playoffs again next year, I, I, I would assume. The one thing I'm a little concerned about, John, if we can kind of change gears a little bit here is keeping the band together. And I'm going to, I'm going to pop up a couple of headlines here for folks to digest. And this is getting to be a little bit of a precarious situation for the Cincinnati Bengals and their valuable assistant coaches. They are getting run here. Uh, their defensive coordinator, Lou Anarumo, Brian Callahan, offensive coordinator. Now Callahan is kind of part of a group think that calls the plays for for the Cincinnati Bengals. He's not the primary play caller necessarily, but a guy that is becoming very well respected for what he has done in this offense, his part that he has played. So now they are both being, uh, they requested to enter. The Bengals were requested to be interviewed uh, by the Cardinals for both of these guys. And I think it, w- it was also the Colts who have spoken about Brian Callahan, or I think they're going to conduct a second interview with him is, is, is another late, story there so these guys are starting to get the attention they deserve unfortunately we kind of felt like hey they're not getting they're not getting the love here maybe then and that now all of a sudden the Bengals are out and they're getting requested to be interviewed (laughs) poor cardinals man i think they met with sean payton on thursday and nothing really came to it they were also interested in dan quinn who was the only other candidate that got a second interview he's going back to dallas even though their offensive coordinator is not he's going to the los angeles chargers so the Cardinals had the courtesy to, I guess, wait until the Bengals season is over to officially put in a request for Anarumo. And it's been a month now where people are asking, why isn't arguably the best defensive coordinator of the NFL getting any interest or looks with head coaching opportunities? We talked to Tim McGee about this very thing, about maybe uh, just personality of Luna Rumo doesn't really speak or invoke a future head coach. But the Cardinals, along with the Broncos, might be a little bit desperate here. Their franchise is... I don't want to say in shambles, but I did read a tweet that said that the winner of the Super Bowl will end up having more victories this season in the Cardinals stadium than the Arizona Cardinals. So they are not doing very well as a franchise right now. Uh, They have a quarterback who is recovering from a torn ACL. They have a lot of aging veterans all throughout the roster, and they're potentially looking at some type of a franchise rebuild. Does Luna Ruma want to do that? I don't know. What I do know, though, is that this is only the second head coaching interview that he's gotten since... He's completely revamped this Bengals defense, and there's only 32 of these jobs available, regardless of the state of the franchise. Like Zach Taylor didn't get a lot of, obviously, opportunities as a head coach uh, coming out of Los Angeles, and he went to Cincinnati when they weren't viewed as a very hot place to go. Sometimes Mm -hmm. when the opportunity presents itself, regardless of the situation that you're leaving compared to the situation that you're going into, like you just got to jump at it, and we'll see how he does with the interviews, and obviously Callahan as well. 
We'll see what happens there. That is something to definitely monitor. And I, you know, I, I think we can kind of say, especially with the Bengals now, part of a, another news story, the Bengals extending Dan Pitcher, their, uh, you know, offensive assistant quarterbacks coach. You kind of think that he would maybe be the, the in-house candidate to replace Brian Callahan. Should he leave Luana Ruma a little, little more unclear in terms of in-house candidates there. I don't know if you'd go, you know, defensive line coach Marion Hobby, or I don't, I don't know where you'd go with that one, but um, you know, that's something that it would maybe go outside on that one. I don't know. I don't know. That's a little, little less clear. I think um, unless you've got <laughs> one on the top of your mind that you think would be a good fit. It, it would be interesting if both leave and they were both replaced by in-house candidates. It would very much mirror uh, the Marvin Lewis tenure, right? Just when yep. they lost both Gruden and Jackson and uh, Zimmer, it was all in-house guys. Um, I think that's more of like a Bengals organizational philosophy rather than Marvin. it could have been both right but you know zach has created such a brotherhood not only with the players but with the coaches this core of assistance has been with each other for the better part now of four years yeah there have been a couple of guys who have come and went but like the top of this assistant ring and brass that he's had like it's been together for now for four years and there are a lot of assistants who have, who have developed underneath him who'd be great candidates but you should remember that Brian Callahan was just a quarterback's coach for the Raiders under under John Gruden. He wasn't necessarily this hot offensive coordinator candidate. Lou Anarumo was the fifth or sixth option that was hired right yep. before March, right? Like some of these mm-hmm. guys, there's there's coaching potential in all levels of football, and it's not the worst thing in the world that coordinators come and go, and it's not the worst thing in the world that maybe you don't know who the next coordinator is. Like all these guys have a ton to offer, and I think the interest level for coming to this Bengals team now that there's actually talent here would be a lot higher than it was four years ago. Well, the other part of the equation here in terms of keeping the band together has become a little bit clearer in that there is a pretty significant salary cap raise for 2023, and that's going to benefit the Bengals. I mean, I know we talk about what the cap does and doesn't mean. I mean, I think there there are some miss. I guess myths or misnomers or whatever about, about what it does and doesn't do and how, how teams operate within that. But it does provide some groundwork for the Bengals. If they do want to work on an ex- extension for Joe Burrow, which it sounds like that's the, the latest that they are going to try and do. Obviously T Higgins there, you've got Jermaine Pratt, Jesse Bates, Eli Apple, um, a number of, of players that are all going to be set to be free agents. So now um, the NFL informed today per Tom Pelissero of the NFL Network um, that the 2023 salary cap will be a record 224.8, almost $225 million per club. It was just over $208 million last year, $182.5 million in 2021. Um, but uh, that was even a drop from 2020. So 200, almost $225 million for the salary cap next year, giving the Bengals, I think it it puts them around currently around 44 million under, uh, I think was the number that was put out there. So they've, uh, they've got more free agents that they've got to shore up and they've definitely got to do some things to, you know, reassess where they're at to get over the hump, get past the chiefs and get through a super bowl. Yeah. So I think they only have like 41 players on the roster right now. I think that's just because, guys who are on IR like aren't on the roster right now so their effective cap space is like 33 million or whatnot but the 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 cap was always expected to be about 225 million based off of just the 
rise in revenue and everything. I think over the cap had that projection from like the middle of last year. So 44 or so million was always kind of the, the projected space here. And you basically have like a big five of free agents that the Bengals have both safeties and Bates and bell, Eli Apple, Hayden Hurst, Jermaine Pratt, all have played at least 49% of snaps for this team. I think the safe projection is at least two of those guys move on to other teams and other contracts, but that's a long ways away. It's about six months or six weeks, excuse me, until free agency begins. And there will be a lot of time to dis- to discuss that now, but obviously priority number one right now on the agenda is the borough contract, what that looks like, how soon can it get, can it get done? How soon can you move on to potentially extending T Higgins? It's lots to talk about here. And the Bengals once again, have a lot of space. They, they do. And, you know, we're talking about keeping the, the group together. I mean, there are some kind of scary propositions when you're talking about losing both Bell and Bates potentially at your safety positions. But on the flip side of things too, John, it sounds like a lot of these guys, especially as of today with kind of the last media session available to them for the year that a lot of these guys who are free agents or, you know, they, they want to be here. And, and so this, and look, all these people talking about there's no way the Bengals will be able to pay blah, 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 just because of conceptions or misconceptions about the team from a long time ago, narratives about the team from a long time ago. They're not going to be able to keep absolutely everybody, but I'm guaranteeing you there are two or three very, very high priority people in the next couple of years that they are going to pay a lot of money to be, to, to keep them around. Um, so I, 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 I get a little irritated when I see when people are so sure that the Bengals are never going to pay everybody and that this budding dynasty that they are building is going to collapse because of financial reasons and inability to keep the people that they want to keep. Well, this is the most interesting off off season, I think, in Bengals history, not just because one, you have this variable of a borough contract that will look nothing like anything the Bengals have ever given out. Ian Rappaport went on Pat McAfee and supposedly said that business is booming with the Bengals, which means to me that they have were able to just acquire enough cash on hand to pay an escrow or pay up front whatever Burrow and his agent are commanding, and I'm sure they're not going to go under what the market is. And the timing of that extension along with Justin Herbert could also impact where negotiations are the floor is probably at 50 million per year because that's what Aaron Rodgers was able to to get uh in his previous contract so that is basically the floor for both of both of these guys and it's not only that you you will see a much different contract that Burrow gets compared to anything in Bengals history but there's also now I think you have this proof of concept of a Bengals team that is a legit contender and for players like Jermaine Pratt, who I believe was talking to the media about the potential of, of coming back and competing for a Super Bowl instead of testing his luck on the open market, I, I think there's more of a likelihood now that you will see guys maybe turn down the absolute best deal for them on the open market and take maybe a B-plus deal to stay with the Bengals. And I don't think that was the case last year just because that was the first time that this franchise had experienced that level of success and there wasn't any proof that it could be sustainable for some of these guys that ended up leaving or they didn't they couldn't come to an agreement now that you have this this brotherhood of players who have bonded and have been in the, have created this locker room that veterans have said they've never experienced before in their lives i think you will see more the the, the gap i guess is narrowed between the willingness to maximize your potential earnings 
and potentially stay with what you believe to be a winner. I don't think it'll apply to every one of these free agents. Obviously, the number one most important thing is to maximize your earnings when you still can. I think that would be the case for maybe a guy like Jesse Bates. But for some of these other guys, I think this is the first offseason where you will see legitimate players either on the Bengals or not on the Bengals who would be willing to entertain deals just to be with a team they believe is a contender. And they're going to need to be as effective in draft hits as they were in a lot of 2020 and 21 um, because that's just the, the only way you're going to kind of keep this thing afloat in terms of restocking the count, uh, the, the, the cabinet and making sure that uh, you draft and develop property uh, properly. So um, here we go. Let's get on out of here. I, I don't know if this is, it's kind of bittersweet, but I'm sure a lot of people have seen this so far. I, I think it's, very sad in one way because of the emotion shown by Joseph Osai. And you could see he was just absolutely gutted after what happened. And this guy is like 22 years old, I think 23 years old, something like that played in a huge game. His first season actually playing really uh, football games in the NFL. He, he was drafted in 21, but missed all of last year. And now he comes back. He started to really turn a corner late this year obviously had the big penalty, the roughing penalty, and, and you just felt gutted. He was just crying on the sideline, just so upset, and obviously carried on into the locker room, super upset. And obviously, after this, what Tim McGee said, you know, when you talk the talk, when you do all this stuff, or regardless, you're going to get that microphone right in your face right after the game and explain yourself. Uh, and so here you go. He is forced to do that, but B.J. Hill being the guy – that he is was making sure that just kind of bodyguarding things a little bit and sticking up for his buddy, sticking up for a guy that he's kind of taken under his wing um, and just kind of, you know, if there were some questions that were maybe deemed somewhat out of line, he was kind of like, be better, you know? Uh, and so in a really sad moment for Joseph Osiah, just a, you know, a gut wrenching moment, it was cool to see BJ Hill kind of step in there, support his guy. He could have sat there on an island, John, and just been, you know, fielding these just questions and just really downward spiral. But to see kind of public support from a teammate uh, makes it, you know, makes the bitter part sweet. My takeaway from this is that BJ Hill knew those questions, or at least one of those questions was coming, and he knew that yep. he couldn't do anything to stop the reporter from saying it. I think he has an understanding that some of those questions need to be asked, even if he doesn't want to say that publicly, but he just wanted to be there and to vocally say that, come on, man, ask a better question just to make Osai feel better. And I'm sure there's part of him that genuinely believes that in everything. And his most important priority here was just sticking up to his team because BJ Hills should know better than anyone because he rushed the passer more than any other defensive lineman in this game. He had 41 pass rushing snaps and ended up with five pressures. Arguably the best pass rusher in this game for the Bengals is Joseph Osai. He had four pressures on 20 pass rushing attempts. He hit Mahomes twice. He got in, he got in on there when some guys wouldn't be able to finish. He had a really, really good game. He had the, he mm -hmm. had the kind of game that justified like his role and what his projection on this team was supposed to be when he was added to this rotation as this, th as this third defensive end. And he still needed to play a lot of snaps just because Trey Hendrickson couldn't play a full load, right? You still had to rotate Sam Hubbard in and out. He played really well in this game. 
and it sickens me that I saw even one person compare what he did to like Vontez Burfick or Adam Jones in the oh, 2015 God. playoffs, right? Like these things are not comparable. Even Paul Alexander had to stick his butt in and say the side should be cut. I hope that was just the heat of a moment, but shame on Paul Alexander for even suggesting such a thing. Joseph Asai is a phenomenal player, and in that situation when you're just trying to get the quarterback out to prevent him from, you know, accumulating as many yards as possible, sometimes you're just a little too late, and sometimes this, the situation is just so dire that, you know, things just kind of get away from you. Uh, based on his reaction, if you thought anything was intentional or anything with that, I mean, I, I don't know how you could even go down that road. And uh, the the other flip side we don't know about is he, he hurt his knee on that play too. His knee yeah. buckled on the sideline too. So he said he was going to get an MRI to find out what's going on. So we have to hear more about that. Um, and hopefully there's nothing because he had the other, what was the meniscus last year, yeah. I think. Um, so, I mean, when you're when you see him turning a corner as at the end of the year here as a pass rusher for the Bengals you don't want to see him go down with an injury so um I I just felt bad for him obviously in that moment and it was it was good to see kind of his and it shows the locker room that we've talked about a lot shows the locker room and, and the character in there so wanted to end on that John um overall man I mean We'll, we'll tell the, the folks here, I know we've been doing, you know, a number of shows per week, sometimes two, three, four a week on this program. We're still going to give you a lot of different content. Um, we may alter the schedule maybe to do more of the old format where it's Wednesday night or, you know, maybe Thursday night, what, what have you. And then we'll sprinkle in listener, listener questions, some other fun stuff on Fridays, that sort of thing. Um, as And then, of course, we're going to do all kinds of stuff with, with free agency and the draft right around the corner. So we'll keep hammering it with content. We just... Keep an eye out. If you'd like to join us for the live shows, there may just be an alteration of the schedule there. But did not like how the year ended, but it was still a phenomenal year for the Cincinnati Bengals, John. And as you said, when you saw them at 0-2, little did we know that this was going to be a second straight AFC championship appearance, a budding rivalry with the Kansas City Chiefs, a lot of big, big wins down the stretch by the Bengals, two over the Ravens, one over these Chiefs. Uh, in December, and then you know a lot of others. Another against the Steelers sprinkled in there. So they have turned a corner as a franchise. There is no doubt about it. And this is going to be a perennial thing where the Bengals go into the playoffs and likely go deep into them. And that's that's good. Uh, you know that's a good feeling. But overall, man, tough one to swallow after this uh, after after Sunday. I would have said this regardless of the result. When you get to this point. Sometimes it's just a matter of a handful of plays that you either make or you don't. And sometimes it comes down to things that you can't control. Sometimes it's a lot of luck. You need luck to end up going to and winning the Super Bowl. They didn't have just the right amount of luck last year to actually win it. And they just didn't have the right amount of luck. And they didn't make enough plays to actually get there now. But getting to this point is always an accomplishment. And sometimes things just don't go your way. And you just don't play your best. And that's just the nature of the sport. Sometimes you're on the business end of losing on a game-winning field goal. The Bengals had two of these where they ended two team seasons mm-hmm. in the postseason, one of them being the Chiefs, right? It's always a three-point game against the Chiefs, and maybe it'll be a three-point game when they go back to Arrowhead at least once next year. Maybe it will be another AFC playoff game in Kansas City next year. So, you know, just making it back to this point, it's, it's always an accomplishment. It's always going to be an accomplishment, and I think the future is still bright for this team. But also, I... uh, just, just, just real quick, I understand Travis Kelsey being mad at the mayor. I understand him taking the Burrowhead comments seriously. He went after the city of Cincinnati, so right now he's dead to me until he apologizes. <laughs> yeah, I uh, I think 
I think the mayor's comments were on a Friday, right? And we did a Thursday night show. Yeah. The, 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 I just, I saw that. I'm like, oh man, why, what? I, I don't want to go into a whole thing about that. I just, I, there were a couple of things he said in that little video that I was like, why are you even doing that? Um, I, I would have liked a cool video, like similar, maybe some of the things in there, just little jabs and, you know, poking fun. There was just some other stuff where it was like, wow. And obviously, again, you know, the Chiefs did a little bit of what the Bengals had done all year. They took all that noise. They took all that, all that stuff and they internalized it and they played emotional football and it, it worked for them. It really did. I, I saw a lot of emotion out of the Kansas City Chiefs early in that game. And it was based on a lot of the noise, be it from the mayor, be it from the Burrowhead stuff, all that. Um, and and they channeled it and played played hard football. He's just a Bearcat, man. He's one of the greatest Bearcats of all time, but he's he's a Cleveland dude at heart, man. He just doesn't respect yeah. the city of Cincinnati as much as I thought he did, so it's whatever. I see my, our, our guy here, Anthony, asking, what's the best way to submit a listener question um, from Oz? Is that Australia? Wow, that's pretty cool. Um yeah, um, we do specific shows, listener questions live, where you tune in live, you can do that. You can always uh, call or text 949-542-6241, or you can email us, theobinsider at gmail.com. If you're on Twitter, you can get in touch with the show's Twitter account at BanglesOBI or John or myself on Twitter. Leave a question. We we try and keep those holstered up if we're not uh, if we're not take, doing an actual listener question show and you can't make that. But uh, those are all kinds of ways you can always get us a question. And of course, you can subscribe to the show through the Cincy Jungle Podcast channel on your favorite audio streamer, iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, all the all the biggies. Go go subscribe there. Leave us a review if you can. That helps us out. And then of course, if you like the video stuff, give a thumbs up to the Cincy Jungle Facebook page or. Underneath John there in the SB Nation show icon, there is a or there is a show icon. Click that. Click the subscribe button. Click the bell to be notified when we go live, when new content is available. We're going to bring you still a lot of stuff through free agency and draft seasons. I wish it wasn't this coming right now, but uh, that's where we're at. John, thanks for everything this year, buddy. You, you, you kill it as always. It's always a pleasure talking Bengals ball with you, and uh, we'll be back soon, bud. On to 2023. On to 23.